You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only podcast that's been around since 1977. We can say that. <laughs> we can, and we will. We were way ahead of the curve, way ahead of it, maybe too far ahead. People were not ready for what we were putting down. They weren't ready for the scimitar curve, man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that curve upwards, that strong bend. <laughs> that strong bend about midway through at the base. Jumping to bees. Yeah. Gets those hard-to-reach spots, baby. That's right. Hits it. <laughs> All right. You got to kind of go through the history of the uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema to know what any of that means, but uh, it's all out there for you to listen to, so check it out. You'll, you'll come across it sooner or later. The scimitars come up more often than you, we would probably like to admit. <laughs> oh, you will come across it sooner or later. <laughs> yeah. Um, check out the, uh, what was it, uh, the Dr. Jekyll and Mrs., what is it, the uh, the Borachek Dr. Jekyll film? Oh, the, the La, Bette? La Bette? No, no, not La Bette. It wasn't La Bette. That was more horse-generated uh, and, and hairy. And uh, it was the... Um, I can't remember. Is the Udo Kier uh, Boracek? Uh, I think it was a Boracek film. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a Boracek film. Maybe it was something else. It was a Jekyll and Hyde film. I remember that. So it feels very Boracek-y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's definitely a scimitar in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this week we are talking about Moon in the Gutter, uh, the one we tried to talk about last week, but we couldn't get it made. Couldn't get it done. So this is Moon in the, the Moon in the Gutter, 1983. Directed by Jean-Jacques Benet. Benet, is that, uh, is that how you say his you name? Would, you would think, but it's Benex. Benex, how about that? Yeah, which is weird. You would totally think Benet, wouldn't I'm, you? I'm but. just going to call him B, BNX. That's right. JJ, call him JJ. Yeah, just JJ. Just like uh, Sonny Chiba in that Roddy Ray Piper film. It's a good nickname, JJ BNX. Um, it's like a hip-hop name, but not a really cool one. But it's 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 okay. It'll do. Um <laughs> He uh, unfortunately he passed away uh, recently, uh, and we've actually covered one of his films before. We've uh, we did Betty Blue, right? Um, yep. Uh, which is a uh, 
three-hour film and uh, quite a strong film. And uh, you can go back and listen to our review of that. Uh, so he's back on the show. Uh, this show's this the show. This film's been talked about kind of off and on over the years. Good friend of our show, uh, Jeremy Ritchie, I believe I can say his name because he was a blogger. But he used to have a blog, I believe. I don't think he does it anymore, but he used to have a blog called Moon in the Gutter. And uh, I think, Will, you frequented that blog, and uh, several of our listeners did. And I think Jeremy listened to us, at least for a while. I don't know if he still does. If you're still out there, Jeremy, hello. Jeremy, yeah, that was my favorite blog. That was my favorite film blog. I, I love Jeremy's writing, uh, and that just, he's missed. He is absolutely missed. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, we'll talk about that. We... Uh, we hope you enjoyed last week's show, The Mac. Um, I think uh, we did a pretty good job on that one. Will felt, not the last week's show, that was The Farmer, but the week before, The Mac. We didn't talk about this in the intro last week, but I just want to say we both felt really good about the review of The Mac, so good that we were texting each other about how good we felt after we did it. So, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that yeah we were. We were kind of on that, that, poised, poised, that post-coital glow of yeah. uh, The Mac review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a moist coital glow. Yes. <laughs> if you're the unlucky, uh, yeah. yeah, well. Well, the one where you're like, you know, come on, man, pass the towel. This is uncalled for. That's right. It's uncalled for at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, of course, you heard us do The Farmer last week. That's something we recorded back when we were kind of getting back in the groove. Um, but a lot of people have reached out to me today and, and told me, or in, over the last couple of days, actually, I should say, and told me they enjoyed The Farmer review quite a bit. So there you go, man. We did it our felt thing. like it was a pretty good review too. Well, that was what the second or third one we'd done when we got back. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might have been the second one, or maybe, yeah, maybe the third one. I don't, I can't remember anymore. So, mm. yeah, no, it was good. It was. Um, so we got a little voicemail this week. Got one from Walt. I'm gonna play it right now. Hopefully, Will will be able to hear it. I'm sure he will. But here we go. Gentlemen, it's Walt. Um. Appreciated the recommendation on Steel Frontier. What a wacky, wonderful movie. Uh, right up my alley. Uh, feel like you guys know me. Uh, appreciated your review of The Farmer. Haven't had a chance to check that one out yet. Um, you know, I think uh, when you guys recorded that episode, the new Blu-ray hadn't come out yet. And I think by the time you released the episode, that new Blu-ray was at least temporarily already out of print. That's how quickly... Yeah, uh, the collector's market works on these limited editions now. That's true. Uh, that's actually that's a true statement. Because it. yep. uh, it's never going to be like a, you know like a huge uh, mainstream bestseller. Uh, it's our little it's our little world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But I appreciate you guys. Where else am I going to get someone who's willing to review it on a blurry VHS rip? That is uh, what I come for. Uh, my resolu- New Year <laughs> resolution: What subgenres would you like to, guys like to cover more this year? Thanks, guys. Uh, that's a good question, actually. Good question. Very good question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's actually funny, a genre we don't talk about much that I try to work in, uh, every now and then is, uh, there's two actually, and it's kind of tricky, but I try to work in a little bit of comedy here and there, and I try to work in a little bit of, uh, science fiction here and there. So I'll try to work those yeah. in occasionally. They're they're not our, and and I'm speaking for Will here, but I think I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, it's not our go to genres. That's true. Say. So that's very true. And nor nor is animated. And I would say oh, that's a yeah, genre yeah, yeah. that maybe we should focus on more. I say this on the heels of Criterion having a really cool 
not a retrospective, but I guess a program uh, or a collection based around a lot of really cool animated films from around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, and I was like, wow, this seems pretty cool. So, yeah, those are three genres we probably don't cover as much as we should. Ironically, off the air, you and I were talking about getting back to one of the kind of bedrock foundational genres Oh yeah, um, with next week's show, which I'll let you, you drop later on at the end. So uh, that's the great thing about our show, not to toot our own horns, but we leave enough room to cover whatever we want, right? I mean, I can tell you I'm always looking to, well, we, not just me, but looking to kind of have a diverse diverse selection of films, right? Like I conscious of, oh, you know what? Let me try to get an Indian film in here or something from Africa or something that's directed by a female director, just representation, right? That's always something that's, that's on my mind. uh, And you and I speak about that. So there's so much out there, but the ones you said, comedy, sci-fi, there goes my throat. (laughs) Got a a frog in there and animated are all animation, all genres that maybe we'll try to to dive into here. And I wouldn't mind getting some more uh, Indian stuff in here. And it's been a while since we did some Turkish stuff. And you know, we we, we enjoy we enjoy everything. And uh, yes, we are not above admitting that we are ignorant to some countries' output. There's no doubt about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, in some genres, I would even say. Um, I mean, absolutely. I would say I am definitely not a, 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 a well an expert, certainly on most things out of India. There's so much that I get kind of lost in it. And um, so much of it looks like it would appeal to me, but then I'll read reviews from people and stuff, and and, and uh, it, it, it's only every now and then does one kind of come to light. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do some of that again. I mean, we did a, I remember we did a double deuce of uh, Indian films with Josh. Wasn't it Josh? Yeah, the the go-to guy for Southeast Asian cinema. It, yeah. It's funny, Netflix, at least here, and I was going to ask you, Netflix here in Canada seems to really have a robust selection of Southeast Asian films. Yeah. Is, that, is it the same way in the States? I think they're trying. Uh, there is definitely a much bigger selection of Southeast Asian um, uh, Bollywood Indian films. I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot more of that. Uh, mostly... And I'm guessing it's probably it might be the same way in Canada. It's mostly newer material, um, and not some of the kind of older wacky genre stuff. Um, but I, you know, some of the newer stuff is very wacky as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, with these, the thing is with these streaming services is it really, it really affords more countries to have their stuff seen. Uh, I kind of grimace when I say that. You can't see me, uh, but. I say that because I worry too much that there's too many paywalls in front of this stuff. And, you know, Netflix has kind of got the market cornered and now everybody's got a streaming service, which, you know, I knew that was going to happen. And it's it's both great and it's it's both too much. And at the same time, I worry about the curation of older films and if we're not hanging on to these materials. I mean, we got these great streaming services out there. You know, and there's hundreds of thousands of films from all over the world that could be put on these streaming services uh, that are, you know, up to 1960, perhaps. And uh, I'm talking about American, Italian. I'm talking about the whole world. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands, if not a million films out there that, you know, still exist and are in some vault somewhere and can be put out there. Maybe some of them shouldn't be seen. Maybe some of them are not that great. But 
I mean, we got a real strong technology nowadays to get these things and take care of them. And I don't know. I, I kind of, I get a little sad, a little angry sometimes when I talk about that sometimes, you know, I I know I agree with you because there's times when I'll go to see a film, something from the eighties, not one of your obvious choices. And sometimes things are hard to find seventies, sixties, older, unless you have some of these streaming services that cater to a certain mm-hmm. market. Um, it's hard to find certain things. And, and I do lament this in the same way you do. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel like we're going to lose some, not, literally lose them but they're just going to be under lock and key and then i don't feel there's necessarily the same democratization of discovery right there's there's these gatekeepers yeah uh, these digital gatekeepers and this isn't doesn't intend to be um a condemnation of digital because quite frankly at this point in my life i would say 90 percent of what i watch is digitally Mm. i still have a robust physical media collection and I'll support it when I can and I don't ever want it to go away um, but it just it's unfortunate that you get these gatekeepers and some films just there's t- times where you and I have said hey man let, let's cover this and it's like I, I can't find this anywhere like look at look at the Mac for example yeah that's yeah. an important film and yeah. it's not readily available yeah yeah it's a concern it's a concern <laughs> um, but yeah uh, that's our little yarn on that. Thanks, uh, Walt, for the voicemail. Let's get into what Thank we've been watching. Yeah, let's get into what we've been watching. What you've been up to? I know you watched a few things. I watched some really good stuff. This was a good week. Yeah. Very good week. Uh, started off with I uh, wanted to rewatch something that we covered in our in single digit episodes. We covered it with Alligator. Do you remember what film it is? Yeah, that would be uh, Bittersweet Life. <laughs> yeah, because the episode was a bittersweet alligator. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I mentioned to the kids. Um, so I threw this on. My kids have been kind of getting into Korean film because they watched um, Squid Game. We watched Parasite. They've been chomping to watch Parasite for a while. I, of course, fast-forwarded through a scene um, with the parents in the tent. Um, but they, they've quite they've become quite fond of Bong Joon-ho with Snowpiercer and... A few other things. So I wanted to rewatch this. I hadn't seen it since we covered it. And uh, it, it holds up pretty well. It's funny being a film from the mid-2000s, like 2005 or something. It, some of it looks a bit dated aesthetically, which is which is pretty funny because it's not that old. Um, but by and large, it, it does hold up. And it's just, it's wonderful to see a South Korean noir film that's heavily influenced right down to the poster by French crime films of the 60s by Melville, which in turn was influenced by the 40s detective noir films of America. So it's just always love seeing those cultural ripples. Mm. Um, so, yeah, a good one. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Uh, I have not watched that since we reviewed it for the show. I ought to go back and look at that at some point. Yeah, it's a good one, man. It's a good one. Uh, next up was one that I'd started. I got about five minutes in. Uh, I don't know, maybe three, four months ago, and I just, I was, I, I put it on, intending to get through a bit of it during a wait for a, an MRI, and they saw me, like, in the first five minutes, and I was like, oh, wow, the one time I actually won't, wouldn't mind waiting, uh, they zipped me right in. It was Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa. Oh, yeah. So, this film is uh, is utterly fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I had watched uh, The Long Good Friday. It made my top five i think for first time watches and this was kind of right on the heels of that i was like give me more hoskins 
so yeah, I popped this one on last week. What a fantastic film, man. He's he's tremendous in it. Kathy Tyson's great. Michael Caine is such a awful piece of shit. Um, it's funny to see him in those roles. And in the 80s, he cashed a lot of checks. Oh, yeah. A lot of checks. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he played some scumbags. And yeah, yeah. this, uh, yeah, and this one, he's a real scumbag. This is a good one. A uh, good look at kind of 80s uh, London. Um, says a lot without being heavy handed about it. So, yeah, a strong, strong recommend for me. That's on the Criterion channel. Um, just talk about a couple more here. Uh, this was this was the revelation, man. This one I found out you hold in very high regard, and I was anxious to just talk about it for a minute. And it's uh, Amadeus, the uh, ah, yes, much celebrated Milos Forman film. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, this film and I have a history. This was one of those the, the cover, like with the, the costume. When I was about five or six, I'd see it in the video store. I think it was a, a horror movie. Yeah. You know, with that costume, I think, wow, what is this? I see this. And, uh, of course, I never did. Um, and it just kept, speaking of films that are a little hard to come by, I mean, I actually, I, got, I ended up buying this digitally, but you think it would have been streaming somewhere as well. But anyway, uh, put this on. I mean, three-hour film about Mozart. Who would have thought this would be as breezy and astounding as it is? Right, right. Yeah, that film and me have a long relationship. I, I saw it when I was young. And it does have some uh, horrific imagery, no doubt. Uh, yeah. Uh, some moments that are eh, may, maybe a bit strong, certainly visually for a young kid. And so I also thought it was a horror film for a lot of my youth, even though I had seen it. But I, it was a weird movie that I would watch over and over again. And I think it was because it was a bit, a bit deviant, right? There was some, oh, yeah, there was some deviancy to the film. <laughs> as, is. as Sadie is saying right now, it's very deviant. <laughs> she is. She's uh, she's big on the Foreman train, man. Yeah, clearly, she really has a problem with some of the uh, the powdered wigs. Um, oh, we all. Uh, and so, as a young man, I would watch it over and over again, hoping to see you know nudity and things like that. Those things that you, <laughs> those things that you you know you search for when you're young, and you know I, I'm not above admitting that you know when you're a kid you you're. you're you're getting away with something sometimes. You know, we had cable TV, and, and oh, yeah. so we were just trying to get away with something. But I had watched it over and over and over again as a kid. And uh, all I could ever remember when I was a kid was Tom Hulse was in it. And I remember, of course, Tom Hulse from Animal House. And there's this other actor playing Salieri, F. Murray Abraham. Now, F. Murray Abraham's had a wonderful career, but, I mean, every time I see F. Murray Abraham, he is Salieri. He is and always will be that character to me. Uh, no matter what he does, he does crazy, wacky comedies. He does everything, but he is always that person, <laughs> no matter how hard he tries to escape it. I mean, talk about a person that's kind of synonymous with a role. Yeah, and he he really embodies that role quite well. Uh, he's tremendous. The funny thing, though, about this film, having and I, when I said breezy earlier, I didn't mean it's light fare. I just meant for a three-hour film, a period piece, it just flies by. Just just to be clear. Um, you know what's funny though about this one is as much as Salieri, uh, Abraham's incredible as Salieri, I feel like no one gives Hulse any credit, and he's tremendous in the film. Yes, and he, and he did yeah. nothing else. Like, he did almost nothing. I can't think of anything he's done other than this and Animal House. I mean, I'm, yeah. I know there's a few things, but um, a guy that was in a film that celebrated and it's just like poof, gone. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the, I don't know whatever came of Tom Hulse. I don't know if he's. I know he's still around. 
I know that he was in a he was really good playing kind of a, kind of a of a mice and men kind of a film. Him and Ray Liotta are in with Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it's called. I can't remember what it's called. Something in Eugene, maybe, where he plays a garbage man. Him and Ray Liotta. Was oh, it played. Dominic in Eugene? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really, really oh, good in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's really, really good in that, and he's been on TV and he's popped up here and there in spots. But I don't know if he's difficult to work with or if he just has you know where he just doesn't feel like he has to work that much, or maybe he did stage work or whatever. But I yeah. heard that. I yeah. heard stage work was a big thing for him. Yeah. He's a uh, you know he's an interesting looking guy. He's got kind of this lazy eye or this kind of half lidded eye and. It's, it's an interesting look, and he, you know, obviously, he doesn't have matinee looks, but man, is the guy talented? I mean, and that film, yeah, man. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's it's top ten, top fifteen. Uh, it's definitely in the top twenty conversation for me. If I was to actually sit down and, because every time I think about it, or every time I see somebody watches it, I think I want to watch it again. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to um, undersell this one. If I was, when I make my top 30 first time watches, mark my words, this will be in the top five, top three. I mean, it is, it is, I can't think of really any fault with the film. It just, everything is just note perfect in it. Um, I'm not a big costume. I mean, just, I was astounded by the costumes. You don't have to be into classical music. I think it gives you a really, it, it walks that tightrope between uh, allowing, people that aren't into classical music to appreciate the profound gift that Mozart had uh, while also being so technically sound that people that, that love classical music can appreciate it. Right. Like, right. It's just, uh, man, it's just incredible. Uh, and I mean, not, not to say the, some of the thematic stuff that runs through it, jealousy, greed. Oh yeah. Um, that's the you know, best. human I, nature. Yeah, as a as a grown person watching the film, that's the best stuff about the film. Oh man, it's uh, yeah, it really, really, it's a, it's it really could work nowadays. It could be set nowadays. It's just yeah, so good. And let me give one more shout out here because we're talking about Halston Abraham. Is Elizabeth Barrage is great. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, everyone I is. I don't know what happened to her either. She was uh, really good in this film, and and, and you know she kind of just went away. Yeah, that's what I mean. And even, yeah, just uniformly the cast is great. Foreman is a director that I feel, when you look at his body of work, he's rock solid. He's almost like the European, um, oh, goodness, what's his name? Did uh, Lumet. Like, Lumet to me is the one American filmmaker that never gets enough love. I feel like Foreman is the one European that just never gets enough love. Mm-hmm. He's so good. So, yeah, Amadeus, man, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Next film I watched was one from uh, a filmmaker that I does, I would say in my top five to ten favorite contemporary filmmakers. Um, he's not for everyone, but his work always moves me, always stirs my soul. It's Carlos Regatis, or Regatis and it's uh, his film Japan, or Japon. Oh, yes. So he shot this film in 16 millimeter. It's about a man in Mexico, older man. Um, he decides he's going to leave his his town and he's going to go for a hike in the, the mountains in Mexico and he's going to kill himself. Um, and along the way, he comes into this uh, village and uh, admits sort of the nature of you know, everything around him and the people. Um, he starts to feel things again in life. And it, I think I'm selling it as more trite than it is. Um I don't know. Regattas is just a guy who he's Malikian, right? Like, I mean, he mm-hmm. looks at man's relationship with nature. Um, 
man's place in the world, just very soul stirring stuff for me. And this was his debut film, just so assured, so moving. Not one I'd watch with the kids around. Uh, there's a few scenes in this that uh, my kids didn't see. But all in all, just and another one that's going to probably make my top 10 first time watches. I had a really good week between Mona Lisa and Medeos and this. So, yeah, this was a high recommend. Yeah. I was just looking at Tom Hulse. Yeah, he's only got 30 acting credits. Crazy, man. He's, uh, I'll tell you what, I love, it's a bit kind of uh, uh, casual or kind of, what's the word, I'm like, candid. I love Tom Hulse's look right there with the beard and the hair, man. In his IMDb shot. Oh, yeah. more Hulse. Where are the Hulse at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Need some Hulse. Yeah. Looks like, um, yeah, I didn't even know. I, there's some things I didn't know about him. I was reading through his kind of biography. Because, again, he's not one of those actors that immediately comes to mind. But, oh, yeah, he was in Parenthood. That's right. He was kind of the wacky brother of Steve Martin's that was raising his kid in interesting ways. Which I've never seen Parenthood. Yeah, and he's I in mean, Mar- I have the Blu-ray. But. Yeah. He's in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, too. I forgot all about that. I didn't remember him. I've seen most of these movies. I don't remember him in it either, to be honest with you. (laughs) That's crazy, man. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, but he's, he's good, man. Yeah. Just, I just, I know people are going to think, oh, I don't want to see it. If you haven't seen this one, please. It's so good. Do yourself a favor. Go see it. Go grab it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that it then? That's it, man. That's all the news that's fit to print. Nice, nice. And in conjunction or in comparison, you know, F.R. Murray Hammerham has got 129 credits. He'll take any work he can get. <laughs> He's a bit of a check casher. Oh, yeah. No, he'll, he'll God work. God bless him for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'll work. Um, okay. I watched a few things. Um, let me pull up my uh, letterboxed material here because that's how I keep track of things. Uh, I checked out Robert the Bruce. It's kind of a semi-sequel to Braveheart. It's kind of an interesting take. Um, just takes and follows the, the Bruce character, Robert the Bruce, played by, oh, I can't remember his name, Angus McFadden, I believe is the name of the actor. It's not really anything like Braveheart. It's much more like a chamber piece kind of period type thing and some of the repercussions and things that Robert the Bruce did for Scotland. It's an interesting companion piece, but I don't think anybody would probably dig it much unless you really like that character in the Braveheart film, which the only reason why I watch it is because he's my favorite character in the Braveheart film. So there we go. Um, Checked out JFK Revisited through the Looking Glass. So this is Oliver Stone kind of revisiting materials. Uh, in documentary form, uh, it still has that stone flair, and not not filmmaking wise, but in that way where he's pounding information into your brain. My God, there's so much information that goes on in this documentary because a lot of these files have been unsealed and things like that, and it's just you know, it's just further confirmation that something dodgy may have happened or did happen at the, in Dallas, Texas, back in 1963. So. Uh, it's worth a watch if you like JFK. Uh, so, I do. Yeah, you certainly should probably check this out at some point. And uh, yeah, it's 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 got some interesting stuff in there. I want to tell you, Stone is a fascinating guy. I think you'll agree with that. Uh, I just listened to a fantastic interview he did. He didn't just do the interview; it was about a a year ago. He did it on Louis Thoreau's uh, podcast that he has out now. And then uh-huh. Stone's, it's a great interview. It's about an hour long. Talks about. His film career talks about, you know, political stuff. Um, it's not overly heavy-handed about the political stuff, but Stone, by his nature, is, is a political <laughs> filmmaker, right? Yes. So, oh, yeah. Um, but it's it's a great listen. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage you to. Zom's another one. I, as soon as I heard it, I thought of Zom. Yeah. Now, Oliver so. Stone's a very interesting guy. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, checked out the four-hour documentary. We need to talk about Cosby. Yes. Um, I guess the, the, I mean, this is really good, but I think the thing I came away with the most from it, as I kind of did with the, uh, I think there's a four- or five-hour Michael Jackson documentary that I watched a couple years ago. I think the thing I came away with the most was, you know, some of the information that came to light in those documentaries, um, even if they're not true, they certainly feel true and uh, very disturbing. Very, uh, very, very disturbing. Uh, certainly on this one, uh, you know, everybody's kind of like, yeah, we we just didn't know. And uh, it's like, uh, how could you not know? It was like right there in front of you. But so it kind of plays that dynamic, kind of shows you, you know, Cosby was so powerful at one point and uh, that he kind of just had everybody working for him. And that's how guys like him get away with the stuff they get away with. So it's pretty mind blowing when you see how far back it goes and how long, oh, yeah, how long it was going on. Well, into, you know, I mean, up to including his uh, very senior years. I mean, he was still pulling this stuff off. So that's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. And, uh, you know, I, these things sometimes, you know, you, you end up on the side of did they do it or did they not do it? I, I don't really think like that because there's just too much. It's the same thing with the Michael Jackson stuff for me. There's too many similar stories for it not to have happened in some capacity. Yeah. And it's very disturbing, yeah. very disturbing stuff. And it's another example of power. And what power can do to people. And uh, it's pretty insane. Some of the stuff he did, not just the sexual assault, which is god-awful, but some of the other stuff, some, the, the meanness of Bill Cosby is something that I was surprised by. Because he portrayed himself as America's dad and this super nice guy and this super wholesome comedian. Come find out, this is a very, very ugly and mean person. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. I told my wife, I was like, you should watch this. She's like, I'm not going to watch that. I, I, Bill Cosby, I remember Bill Cosby is Bill Cosby. I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, uh, you'll never see him I, the same. Yeah, I wanted to watch this one. But as soon as I saw you'd watch it, I was like, ooh, I got to see this. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I've been, I've been, I'd heard about it like a day or two before because I think it was about to come out. And uh, yeah, it, I, it's one of those, I can understand where your wife's going with that. It's, it's, it's a hard watch, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Tough stuff. It's really difficult. Yeah, I mean, not, like I said, not just the stuff that he, you know, the sexual assault, which, like I said, is is truly awful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just talking no, about no. the the power swings, too, and the people that were kind of caught in the crossfires of all that, including children and, you know, parents of children actors and things like that, and just how he manipulated people to his own benefit. It's it's a true power trip, and it's it's insane when you think of Bill Cosby in this way. And it just, uh, you know, because he's the exact opposite, right? I grew up with him. I grew up with him. Uh, for me, he was a pivotal part of my childhood because um, of Picture Pages and Fat Albert and things like that. Yep. And so to think of him in this regard, it's kind of like finding out, you know, Mr. Rogers is, you know, was really Charles Manson or something. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's insane. So just that's crazy. a great way to put it. Uh, really, it is. I mean, Mr. Rogers, I'm not even exaggerating. He's one of my heroes. Yeah. And Bill Cosby was like that to our generation. He yeah. was, yeah. like you said, he was, he was all of our father, yeah. right? He was just, he seemed, seemed to embody all the virtues we would want in a father. Yeah. 
He did. He he just seemed like a kind, nice person. I didn't always love his comedy because I was as growing up, I was much more into the harsher, meaner stuff. Yeah. But uh, I always appreciated him, and I always thought, man, this guy's a you know he's a genius. What he can do with just a microphone and storytelling and everything else, and uh, I still think you know the stuff he created is still pretty Im- impressive. The jokes and things like that, but obviously, you know, I'm one of them people that can actually separate the art from the artist and. And I can do that, and 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 I'm fine with it. I, I don't even think I own anything Bill Cosby's in, but it's but I can tell you this: ever since this stuff happened, for the longest time on the show, to give you guys a behind the scenes, I've been trying to get Uptown Saturday Night on the show, and this gave me pause again to put Uptown Saturday Night on the yeah. show. And it's a real shame because Sidney Poitier just passed away, and yeah. all this stuff. And I and I'm like, here's my opportunity. If I've ever had an opportunity to get Uptown Saturday Night on the show. Now is that chance. This is it. And this has made me, it's put a taste in my mouth. It's like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it right now. No, I know, man. So, I know. no Uptown Saturday night anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday. Um, yeah. I'll just mention uh, one other one. Uh, small Engine Repair. So, this was a recommendation from Randy. This is a little independent film. I'm not going to say a whole lot about this. I'll be quick about it. It's, it's basically almost like a, like a little three-act play kind of filmed. It's a very low-budget film. It's really heavy on kind of the Manchester, New Hampshire, kind of Boston accents. Uh, almost to a cartoonish level at first. But if you hang in there, this film takes a turn that I did not see coming. And when it does, I was like, holy shit. I have to say, it's not a, it's not a great movie, but it's a really, really solid little movie. Uh, it's got good actors in it, too. Shea Wiggum's in here. Joe Bernthal's in here. Um, and the guy that uh, wrote and directed, he's a character actor as well. I believe his name is uh, Polono or something like that. Joe Polono, I believe is his name, maybe. I'm not 100% positive. John Polono. Uh, he stars and he wrote and directed this thing. And uh, he did a very good job. I would definitely recommend people check it out. It's on Canopy. So uh, you can I check love it Canopy, out. man. Yeah, so you can check it out on there if, uh, if you so like. I would recommend it, though. I would definitely recommend it. It's It's got kind of that fresh writing kind of flavor that like maybe I wouldn't compare it to like a Quentin Tarantino when he hit the scene, but it certainly is. It's got, it's got some really strong writing and it's not a visual film. It's much more a story based film. So if anybody out there checks it out, let me know what they think. I'd be, uh, I'd love to hear it. So I quite enjoyed it. I even text Randy and I said, you know, this movie took a hell of a turn, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, he goes, I don't recommend them unless they got some little punch to them. Like it's, this one's got a punch to the gut. So anyway, um, okay, that's everything we watched. Uh, I watched something else, but to be honest with you, I didn't finish it before we started recording because I got caught up in kids' stuff. So I'll finish that when I get off of the recording tonight. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about The Moon in the Gutter. We shall return right after this. The moon is in the gutter. And the stars wash down the sink I am the king of the blues I scrape the clay off my shoes And Right. <laughs> I know 
there's some of our listeners out there who love Nick Cave, and uh, so they'll, they'll be they'll be happy to hear that. Because I don't think I've ever played any Nick Cave on the show ever. So I think Paul, uh, the Red Waffle himself, I'm pretty sure he's a big fan. I think Morris is a big fan. Yeah, and I think Tim. There's a lot of people. Yeah, there. I'm pretty sure Tim. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tim. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of a Fairweather fan. I like him sometimes. Don't like him sometimes. So, you know, I, I, it, for me, music it's it's hard to offend me. It really is. I mean, I can find value in pretty much anything. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, Moon in the Getter, 1983. This was a large Williams selection. Uh, he wanted to pick it because, like I said in the intro, uh, JJ, good old JJ. Uh, BNX, uh, Jean-Jacques Benek, BNX, BNX, uh, passed away, unfortunately. Um, and we had done Betty Blue, and we'd had a pretty good time talking about Betty Blue. I, I meant to go back and actually listen to that review, but I didn't get a chance to. Sometimes I'll do that when uh, we come back and visit a filmmaker, because we've only done that in this film. So, um, 1983, plot synopsis, he is a revenge-obsessed Stevador, Stevador, Stevador? Devador, man, yeah. Whose sister was brutally raped and murdered. She is a wealthy, elusive woman. They try hard to get together, or do they? Oh, boy. So, <laughs> this is also known as La Luna dans le carnaval. Carnaval? Carnaval? Carnaval. Le carnaval. Le Can I just get this off my chest? Yes. You're on IMDb right now. Are you on IMDb? I am on IMDb right now, yes, sir. So that poster, doesn't that look like a Christopher Pike Fear Street cover? <laughs> yes, it does. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a pretty bad poster. Oh, um, man. Uh, yeah, it's bad. I mean, uh, the scan of the poster looks like it's coming out of somebody's closet. I mean, it's got the folds in it and everything, unless that's part of, uh, part of the motif they were going for. Now, yeah. I had seen this film before. You kind of heard us talking about it a little bit. Uh, it's been a long, long time. So, essentially, this is almost kind of like going back and revisiting for me um, because I did not remember a lot about it. I know the one thing I do know about this film is that Gerard Depardieu does not like this film. Um, I don't know why. He's actually pretty good in the movie, but I think he had a really yeah. bad time. Uh, I don't think he had a bad time making the movie, but I think he just... I, the IMDb trivia says he calls this movie the film in the gutter. Which I think is very disappointing because Depardieu's made worse. And poor Gerard, who we should say in front of the camera, is one of our favorites. Oh, yeah. Right? So, oh, yeah. I mean, this was, this was like a, well, we're doing this for Jean-Jacques, but the cherry on top is Gerard and Natasha Kinski and Victoria Abril. So, oh, yeah. very strange she would have found that. But Benex, that's one of the weird things about his legacy as a filmmaker. Not to derail you here or to hijack, but... It's he's never been well received back home. He's kind of found love um, in film festivals and stuff. And I've always felt like that's a shame. And I know this review maybe isn't going to sound like the biggest glowing endorsement for him, but he's always had a a strength of vision. I mean, a, a strength or a faith uh, in his vision, and he's stayed very committed to what he wanted to make and. Yeah. I can't think that Depardieu didn't make, you know, a lot worse films. I mean, he was a he is a master check casher. Oh yeah, this guy. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, he Gerard Depardieu. Really I mean, he, he he can. Well, he first of all, 
he's such a great actor. He can be in anything. Like, I mean, he he is he is a goat, man. Yeah, he is a goat. Two hundred and fifty credits, and you know, you can't tell me that he doesn't have worse films. I know he does. I've seen some of them. So, oh, I, I, yeah. Listen, I know <laughs> he does too. I'll tell you. To me, would you say this is a fair comparison? He's sort of like the prolific French De Niro. Yeah, yeah, I would say so because he's. He's handsome only in the way of being kind of this rugged kind of, you know, almost like, I guess they would call it like a dad bod now. It, it's certainly, that's what he's always kind of had. He's all, Well, I mean, you know, in this film, though, he's felt. He's kind of younger, kind of just, yeah, yeah. And skinnier, a bit more of a sex symbol. There's something kind of, though, even as a male, speaking about another male, there's something kind of ruggedly handsome about the guy. He has a charisma, yeah. which he's always had, right? He's got this kind of off-center face, too. He's got this interesting face that kind of all goes to the right. Like, mm-hmm. it kind of starts at the base, at the at the top of his nose where his brows meet. And kind of going down, you kind of notice his face kind of all moves to the right. And it lends this quality of, um, for me anyway, it lends this quality of boyishness and mischievousness. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, Gerard Depardieu, he can, he can command the screen. We've seen him do some things where, I mean, he completely owns every scene he's in. He's he's that kind of I, actor. I, I'll tell you what. To me, I will say this. He is a top ten favorite actor for me. I love Depardieu. And uh, any, any excuse to get him on, yeah, I'll take. Like, just, yeah. 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 And he's made some turds, like we said. But when he is on, man, he is on. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, he's made some great films and... He's made some bad films. He's a working actor. He's a working leading man, and he just, you know, he continues to work. I think he's got six or seven films coming out this year. So uh, he just, he's one of those guys. And of course, I guess sometimes he probably just shows up for a couple of days. But hey, man, who's going to knock it, right? I mean, it's good work if you can get it. And it seems to me like he's had a quite a charmed life. I don't know. Um, we got him in here. We got Natasha, uh, Nastasia Kinski, I should say. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Daughter of Klaus. Um, Victoria Abril in here, who's uh, done quite a few things. Uh, wonderful actress. Uh, yeah. And quite a few other people. Dom- Dominique, uh, Dominique uh, Pignon is in here. Now, he's he hooked up with, uh, uh, was it Janae? That one director yeah. who does the visual type stuff. Um, I think he did the fourth Alien film. And then he, City of Lost Children, I believe, and Delicatessen. He usually works with him quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he might work with. Uh, seems like I've seen him in some Luc Besson stuff sometimes. Maybe. He's, well, he's a very French actor. You oh yeah, him, he just looks French. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> but he's he did a lot of stuff. He's again a working actor, had a very unique look, and worked with a lot of the prominent uh, French directors of the time. Yeah, right. Whether it was May, I know he's an Amelie, other things, but yeah, yeah. Only one other actor I'll mention here: Vittorio Mezzogiorno, who yeah. plays. Newton Channing, he plays the uh, the brother of Natasha Kinski's uh, uh, character, Loretta Channing. Now, only some of our most uh, deep listeners will probably pay attention to that, but he's he's been in a few Euro crimes, including one we did, uh, Stunt Squad. He was in that. Yeah. And uh, he's got a very unique face. Uh, it's a great face, I think, actually. It is, it's, it is a great face. He's another ruggedly handsome actor, and I think they would have been better served to have them kind of uh, square off a little more in the film. They, they leave... Uh, Phoenix leaves uh, Mitsujorno sort of slumped over with a bottle in his hand yeah. for much of the film. I think they would have made a good kind of uh, counterbalance to each other. 
Yeah, he doesn't. Um, I don't even feel like there's any real closure with that character, really. But no. Anyway, um, he died young, unfortunately. Um, Sadly. Yeah, in his fifties and stuff. But yeah, if you go back and look at a few Euro crimes, I don't think he did any uh, spaghetti westerns and stuff. But I know he was in some Euro crime films and some other yeah, stuff. And yeah. I don't think he ever. Violent Milan, Stun Squad. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Violent Milan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Yorka, which is a good one. Oh yeah, that's right. La 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 Orca, not Yorka. La Orca. There's one he did I want to see before we jump off him. Il Giocolato, uh, which is um, Nino Manfredi's in it. Uh, supposed to be pretty good. He did a couple that are deeper cuts, man. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. If you're, I mean, if you're really starting to dig, yeah, I mean, you want to dig into some deeper cut Italian films, and that's some that's some uh, late cycle stuff too. There, that's '79. So, um, so I'm looking at it now. It's got Mario Brega in it as well. So. Let me let me get, say one more, Sammy, and I promise I won't derail anymore. It's worth me mentioning because I discovered this when I was looking through his credits to see what else we'd seen him in. Get this, 1980, Speed Cross, oh. an undercover cop infiltrates the world of motocross racing. Oh, I think we got to do that Direct, soon. <laughs> directed by Stelvio Massi. Oh man, starring Fabio Testi. See, see, this is the thing about doing the show. You think you know all the stuff that's out there, right? You think you know. Right. And maybe we've talked about that film before, but I don't Ooh. recall. Romano Pupo's in it, too. Oh, we got to do that. Dude, someone's got to find this for us. Yeah. Someone has to have this film. <laughs> yeah, we got to do has that. Has to get it to us. Yeah, we got to do that. That's that. How how have we never heard of this? I don't know. I, if we have, we've forgotten. That's what I'll Man. say. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to earmark that one. Yes, carry and, on, carry uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I, I mean, I even looked through his filmography and I didn't even see it, and now I do see it. And I can't unsee it. <laughs> oh, God, this is going to haunt my dreams. Yeah. Anyway, um, so kind of sitting down to watch this one. Uh, so this isn't really super readily available. I think there was a DVD or something a long time ago released. But um, yeah. I ended up watching this on the Internet Movie Ar- or the Internet Archive, which is, you know, cool. Sometimes I'll go there. You'd be surprised what you can find on the Internet Archive sometimes. And... Uh, the quality of the print's a little murky, but not too much because the movie still looks good. And I'm just going to forthright, I'm just going to be honest with you right now and say this. The strength of this film is almost purely visual. There is there is a story here, but the way Jean-Jacques Beniax uh, decides to tell this story is going to be troublesome for some, I think. Um, yes. Will and I were kind of talking about it off the air. He had watched it before I did. Um, and had kind of a different reaction to when he saw it originally. I could barely remember it. I knew I had seen it, but I could barely remember it. So kind of watching it in some ways with almost a fresh eye again. Um, and I got to say, the movie's good. I, I don't want to sit here and say the movie's bad because it's not. It, it's two hours, 15 minutes long. But I know you hear this saying quite a bit. I mean, when I, I tell you that a movie moves at a snail's pace, this movie, this movie, yeah. the snail is lapping some of the scenes in this movie. I mean, it is, I will very rarely complain about glacial filmmaking or, or kind of, you know, you, you know, you know, you know my sensibilities. Most people who've listened to the show for 13, 14 years know that I don't have a problem with slow uh, narratives or anything like that. But I do have a problem with it when the characters outside of the leads aren't very interesting. Um, 
Gerard Depardieu's very he's interesting. Gerard Delmas, that character. Victoria Abril, I think I think her character, Bella, I think she's the most interesting character in the story, to be honest with you. She's fantastic in this film. Yeah, she's a, she's electric. Absolutely she is. She's given some really meaty stuff. And I'm glad you mentioned her, because I think in the grand scheme of things, she doesn't always get the credit she deserves. She's really great in Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, the Amadovar film. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Pedro's always had a great eye for getting great performances out of actresses. But seeing her in this, it's so revelatory, because... We don't see her in a ton of stuff, right? No, we don't. She really gets a chance to show sort of desperation, kind of roll around in the gutter. She gets to be emotional. And I'll tell you what, if she was a bad actress, when you start crying and screaming in scenes and sounding desperate, you're really going to get hung out to dry fast if you're a bad actress. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So she, I think she never really kind of made it in the States. She tried. I remember. So the first time that I remember, now I probably saw her before this, but the first time she really caught my eye, I had not seen Pedro Almodovar films much, but I did go to the movies to see uh, Jimmy Hollywood, the Joe Pesci, I believe oh, it's yeah, yeah. Barry Levison film. And she plays the girlfriend to Joe Pesci, Pesci's kind of Jimmy Hollywood character, Jimmy Alto. Oh, no way. And uh, she's very sexy in that and you know obviously she's got a there's a lot about her you never forget when you see her she's very very there's very there's there's this animalistic kind of she's very attractive so there's this kind of sexy yeah sexy woman yeah she is and uh and of course then i started following her career because obviously (laughs) i'm a young man i'm looking for stuff and things like that so in a lot of ways she was almost kind of like my gateway to um a Motivar films, yep. which is kind of an interesting story in and of itself. And because I had seen Jimmy Hollywood, I ended up watching Al Motivar films. Oh, wow. What's interesting is, uh, yeah, you wouldn't think that's the way in, right? I mean, it's it's funny how movies can, you know, you see this actor in one thing, next thing you know, you're watching Fellini films. You don't even know how it happened. Um, her, her debut film was Robin and Marion, which is a pretty good Richard Lester film. That's the older school uh, Sean Connery, Audrey Hepburn. So that's her first uh, story credit. So that, that's pretty interesting. Her first film credit is that film. She plays Queen Isabella. I don't even remember her in that movie. She's probably so young in that thing. I don't even remember what she looks like. So anyway, uh, and if you go out there and do some uh, searching and stuff and some looking around, uh, you'll find out she's she's a brave actress. That's what I'll say. She's done both softcore and hardcore stuff. And, oh, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. She did. Uh, and, and here's the amazing thing about the, the hardcore stuff. She didn't do it until, uh, I guess it was the 2000s? No. Yeah, I think it was, uh, she did it, uh, there was this series in France, I think it's called X, I'm looking for it now, I'm sorry, I apologize. x Fems, yeah. So it was a series, 2009. So it was a series where they took female filmmakers and they shot sexuality from the perspective of females. And they gave them the the choice to do a hardcore or softcore. And I guess whoever she worked with decided to go hardcore. So there you go. I've wow, seen and you know what I've seen that episode. It is uh yeah, it is what it is. Melanie Laurent also directed an episode in season one. Maybe this is where Tarantino found her. The jokes write themselves. Her episode was called <laughs> At Her Feet. Well yeah, I mean they're right there. Right there in front of her face the whole time. Right? So anyway, there's that. 
She's uh, Victoria Abril and Chloe Svenye are two of the only actors I know who've managed to do oral on screen and still have a career. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I'll just get that out there. <laughs> just get it out there. Um, so anyway, I think she is really the electricity of this film. She is really the power of the film. There's other characters in the movie. Uh, Jar Jar produced characters. He's very obsessed. So the movie kind of opens kind of Gialli-esque. And so you think... Okay, this is going to be a pretty good little thriller. We got a murder. Uh, it's pretty nasty-looking murder. There's rape involved, all this kind of stuff. And now the brother of this character is going to try to figure out who this killer is. But that's kind of what happens, but only kind of in spirit. It's really this story about a bunch of people who drink too much and smoke too much, and, and Gerard Depardieu looks like the only person who really has a job. And they just kind of lounge about all the time and feel sorry for themselves. And I was joking with you off air. I mean, when I think of French art films going forward, this is always going to be the movie that's going to be on top. This feels like, um, like it does at times feel like a, a stereotypical French. Like when people think of the cliche of the French art film, yeah, there are, this does play into a lot of those, um, Assumptions, I think. Yeah. I think that... I think you should be required to wear a beret while watching this. And possibly smoke a cigarette in one of them holders. <laughs> and have a pencil-thin mustache. And one of the black and white shirt. I mean, I know it, it's... I'm, I'm making fun of a stereotype here, but... My point is valid. This film feels like that stereotype a little bit. It's not an exciting story... The Nastasia Kinski character is essentially this kind of ghost, waifish character who's kind of in and out of the film. It leads to some, some comedic moments, some moments of passion, some strange moments. But nothing really ever makes sense. And you have to wonder a lot of times, especially as you get through the film, if a lot of this stuff isn't just happening in the Delmas character and Gerard De Produce character, if it's, a lot of it's just not happening in his mind. If he's not just going crazy... And, you know, I mean, did you ever get a feel while you were watching it for who might have been the killer? I mean, I have my theory, but I don't want to share it in case anybody wants to watch this. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, we can share, we can share it when we get off the air, but I'm just it's not real clear. I don't think I think no. it's open to interpretation and I usually like that, but I think they leave it too open. Agreed. And it just Agreed. I don't know. I don't know. Um but like I said, it does have a great look. Uh, it, it might be too arty for some. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend. I mean, like you know, we joke about this. And and Paul, I know you're listening out there, Taggart. I know you're listening. Uh, you know, this is not a Taggart film. <laughs> this is a- nope. uh, no, no, no. There's a few yeah. people I can think of that this would yeah. not be their kind yeah. of Yeah. Um, Kinski's pretty great, though. She, I really had a thing for her growing up, um, especially during my formative years and stuff. I don't know what it was about her. There's something. Cat people probably had a lot to do with it, but there was something about her that was kind of, you know, Abril and her, there's there's something about these two that is, is very sensual on screen. Yeah, agreed. Um, I don't know what it is. I, some actors just, you know, I think male and female actors, they just, they give off that, that, that sensuality and basically that sexuality, that hotness, that hotness, brah, um, that's out there. Um, the movie's weird too in the way it feels. It feels very small. Like 
it feels like it's all shot on a set because like the scenes with the car there's moments when it's driving through the city and i know french streets and old school european streets are very narrow but man there's moments when these cars i mean talk it looks like a like a, a ride you would ride at disney world or something you know like the cars just kind of creeping through the city it's, it's just kind of weird this film did use a lot of sets, and there was a very much an intentional level of artifice um, to the film. Like it, it was, it's very much style over substance. Yeah, and, and level of artifice. You know, it's funny. You know, watching this again, what it reminds me of a little bit. Very different kind of film, but just in terms of the level of artifice, is Sin City. Ah, uh, yeah, that's not that's this weird proto Sin City kind of, you know, gutter town. Uh, smaller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can get behind that. Uh, I will say this, though, and I think you agree. Sin City, even though it's flawed, it's a better film than this film. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I quite like this. I like this one more than you, obviously. Sin City is certainly... It's dated, but I think it's more entertaining. Yeah. And uh, More entertaining, sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's parts of this film that are gorgeous to look at, and certainly there's moments where I feel like if they streamline this story, it makes a lot more sense and yes. it's a much more, it's a better film. I think what this film needed more than anything, and from what I've read about it, the original cut of this movie was four hours, so I'm not surprised. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And and we know that Benny X, he, he likes to make long films. Betty Blue's a three-hour film, right? So yeah. we know that he likes to make long films, and there's nothing wrong with making long films, but... If you're going to make a long film, you got to keep your audience interested for that amount of time. Yes. I think the problem here is I think that he thinks these characters are more interesting than they are. And to be honest with you, I don't think any of them outside of Depardieu and Abriel are interesting at all. I, I think the brother's kind of interesting, but there's no real, there's no real arc to his character. Um, no, it's just kind of – I think the biggest crime with this film – is it does meander and it's content to meander. Yes. Um, the technical aspects work better for me than I think they do for you. Yes. But that's the biggest crime. I think if you take 20 minutes off this film, it's going to... It's going to flow. It's going to earn a lot more goodwill. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I think you could take 20 to 30 off and I think this movie moves along and it's a basically a thriller and I think, you know, if you got the right interpretation that I got at the end... I think it's a pretty solid movie. Oh, I do too. And I mean, listen, it's I, I I'll be forthright in saying when I first caught this several years ago, I was quite blown away by it. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, my score has since diminished, but I don't think it's um, a turd by any stretch. No, 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 no. I think it's it is very self indulgent, and mileage varies with with films that uh, can be perceived as that, or or an exercise in artifice and style right and that's what this right, is right you know in a lot of ways it takes goodness's uh literary uh, accomplishment and really um turns it into a, a, a an exercise in style but yeah just it, i think this you know we sat through betty blue i don't know that either one of us moaned about the three-hour runtime um but with this i think two hours plus yeah, you are starting to kind of test things. And, and something like this, it's not like it's a threadbare plot. You you have a, a pretty interesting setup. Um, it's very noir-y, pulpy. 
you know, you got great actors. Let your horses run a bit instead of letting them just kind of stay in the stable. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's probably the biggest mistake, right? Yeah, I think that is. I I, I agree with you. I know it sounds it might sound like in some ways I'm being a little harder on this movie than I need to be, but I just think that there's a really good movie here, um, kind of hidden behind this almost self-centered filmmaking in a weird way that I don't think was necessary for this movie. I, I, I But at saying that, let me, let me make sure I'm, I'm clear about this. In saying that, though, I can see where this would totally, like, flip the switches for some folks. Like, it, it it's almost fetishized stylization. It's almost, like, fetishistic in the way it's kind of shooting females. I mean... Let's let's just just take a second and think about the entrance of Natasha Kinski's character in this movie. Think about I I think it takes about five minutes for her to get from the door to the table, but yeah. he shoots her like she is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And look, I got no problem with that because at one point she probably was, and in this movie she's you know some pretty nice bread, but. It's it's just this weird fetishization of filmmaking, and sometimes that works, as we've seen with other filmmakers. Uh, I know one like you know somebody that fetishizes old films and kind of does them to his own way that you don't like is somebody like Edgar Wright, or somebody like you know, and some folks don't like Quentin Tarantino because the way he does things, and some folks don't like Robert Rodriguez because the way he does things. There's these filmmakers that kind of fetishize the filmmaking process itself they're almost self-aware filmmakers right and uh, i sound like quentin tarantino there right all right but yeah but i i, I think ben, benny x makes the mistake here of falling in love with what he's doing now he certainly has a thesis or it seems like a a part of him loves a certain type of filmmaking he certainly loves the the kind of mad or angry or should i even say strong female character that seems to be something that he seems to be fascinated with because of the three films i've know of his and we almost covered another one of his right you almost picked diva diva's fantastic yeah yeah i I mean i think that he's obsessed with these female characters i think they're more interesting to him than the male characters and that's fine i think that works too but I just think in this one it's a swing and a miss for him because I think he's so obsessed with every single move Kinski makes. And it, it, I know what the point of that is. I get it because of what it generates for the story. I just don't know that it needs to take as long as it does. And again, I, I almost feel like a, uh, a hypocrite sitting here talking about this because here I am, the the kind of novice critic online who loves these kind of glacial slow films these films out of uh you know iceland and everything else uh you know i look i know what i'm 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 saying when i'm saying this but there's something just kind of slightly off about the way this film plays uh and i just think it needed better editing to kind of get to the basis of what it is i mean because it's a very very simple story and honestly i think it's a good thriller story and i think it you know if me and you both agree on the uh, on on what it is, um, the uh, the killer in the thing, then we both agree that um, 
you know, the story is a very simple story. Night, bud. It's almost sun good night. <laughs> um, love you. And then, uh, you know, I just think there was a much. I guess what I'm saying is, I guess there was a much more simpler path, and I guess Benyek did he? I guess he just did not want to follow that path. He was putting his own stamp on this type of material, and I guess I had some problems with that. I, I do think the film is gorgeous. I, I don't know that I'd ever watch it again. I got to be honest with you. Hey, that's a very fair statement. I, I think it's fair to say that it doesn't really get out of its own way as much as it needed to. Yeah. I really don't have much more to add, except I will say this. That scene of Depardieu chewing on ice. Oh, man. Dude, that scene bothered me so much that I had it to look sounds, away. I had to look away. I couldn't, I, it, I couldn't watch it. See, we've been, we've been talking a lot, and it sounds like harping on. The visuals, it is a very strong visual film. Visually, it looks great. But the sound design in this film is incredible. That ice sequence is so visceral. It's like the, the, I don't even know who, like the, oh. the, the Noe version of the ice <laughs> chopping competition in Karate Kid Part Two. <laughs> you know, it's just I don't man. know, I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does. Oh, and uh, sound. I think it makes me laugh because now that you say it, I don't know why I didn't come up with it because that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. I'm, um, but yeah, it, it's it's bo- it's bothersome to say the least. I mean, it's. Oof. It feels like the Belgian filmmakers, oh uh, goodness, they made like the Neo Gialli. Um, oh goodness, I can't remember the name. They did like uh, Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. Um, yeah. It feels like that duo um, like saw this ice fighting scene too. I don't yeah. know. It just, oh. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty intense scene. But the sound throughout the film's really good. Like there's a broken bottle, glass dragging across concrete. Oh yeah! All these kind of sounds that are really accentuated. The sound and, is yeah. I mean, you bring up that up. The sound design is actually really good. Yeah, no, it is. It very much is. I think this is one that Blu-ray would really lend itself well because the DVD, it's you know, it's 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 not. It's a little foggy, a little murky. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll talk about this for a few minutes because you you've covered yeah. it around. And- yeah, here's one more thing I'll say about the ice. Get get a new get a new chunk of ice if you're going to jump into the game. In this day and age, I, I was like, dude, I never mind even in this day and age, like, well, how could you do that? Dude, I, I love you like a brother, but I got to be honest with you right now. If you've been huffing on a big ice cube and you fall out, I'm not tagging in and coming in and chewing on the same ice spot you, you were chewing on. I'm not doing it. No, that's, uh, that's there's very few people. Ugh. Maybe my kids and my wife. Yeah, family, maybe. I, even then, though, I'd be a little bit, I mean, I don't even like, as I've gotten older, I like to drink less and less after people. It's not because of the the COVID and stuff uh, with kids. It's always tricky because you don't know how much spit you're going to get. Yeah, that's the truth, man. You ever picked up a water bottle from one of your children and you look in the bottom of it and you see Dorito crumbs or Cheez-Its or some type of food material. And you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> well, that's a horrifying discovery where I'll go to use a glass. They've used Woo. and you see one side. Yeah. It just doesn't always work, but, yeah, I wouldn't be eating an ice. I wouldn't be entering an ice eating competition and eating off the same piece of ice that the last guy did. That's for sure. No, no, no. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I'll kick it over to you. I don't have anything else. Okay. So, the uh, next. I think I'm not as far away from this film as you are. Although I do like it a lot more than you. Or I do like it more than you. I shouldn't say not a lot more. I like it more than you. Um, and I, I hate that we're kind of damning him with faint praise. Uh, in his 
passing because I think the main thing I wanted to convey as a filmmaker is I applauded his bravery in his commitment to what he wanted to make. For better or worse, he was going to do what he wanted to do. Um, in this case, I think mileage varies. I still think there's an interesting film there. I still think it's an interesting exercise. You have Depardieu, who's a great actor. Abriel puts in among the best performances of her career. Kinski is, is a vision. I mean, she's just breathtaking. Um, it's just, just let me digress for a moment, too. Do you know that, here's a little piece of trivia for you. Ben X was an assistant director on The Day the Clown Cried. Oh, was he? Isn't that wild? That's, uh, that's an interesting piece of trivia. <laughs> yeah, very interesting piece of trivia. He worked with Rene Clement, Claude Berry, Claude Zidi, and you know, Jerry Lewis. So. I, bet he, uh, I bet he had some good stories then. I bet he does, and he was a big Jerry Lewis fan. Um, not to perpetuate that French stereotype, but um, but yeah, no, that's uh, that, that was very cool. But I, I've always admired him as a filmmaker. Diva, Blue, This. I think it's a very interesting trifecta where all three films are very strong visually. All three films play with the medium to varying degrees of success. This probably gets the bronze medal in his that trifecta, but I think it's still a worthwhile film. Um, it's, uh, and, and the camera work too, we've talked about the production design and sort of the intentional artifice. Camera work in this, the cinematography is fantastic. Oh yeah. Uh, there's some really great shots, you know, shots of uh, headlights and oh. shots kind of just, yeah. the camera kind of just drifting down the gutter. I think all of the craft around this movie is great. The set the design, yeah, all the set design is great. The if there's matte paintings, which I feel like there is at points, those are great. That shot where the car drives up to the, like the castle or the or the uh, the church up on the hill, that's amazing. That's an amazing shot. Um, yeah, but I don't know, man. There's some really great stuff. Like I said, I just think it doesn't always. Like if I said to you, I'm going to give you Depardieu, Kinski, and Abriel. Abriel's going to crush it. Depardieu's going to be great. Kinski's going to be breathtaking. You're going to have incredible cinematography. You're going to have great sound design. You're going to have Vittorio Mezzogiorno showing up. Dominique Pignon, you would have been like, whoa, man, what is this film? Like, this is great. But then you put it all together, and it's like that early 2000s Lakers team with, like, Carl Malone and Gary Payton and Kobe, and it's like, this should be a little better than it is. And, again, not to diminish what it is, but um, I just think more than anything, maybe because I admire him as a filmmaker, yeah. I meant a bit of a missed opportunity for more of a home yeah. run. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> It's not a it's not a swing and a miss. It's more of a double than a home run. It should certainly, be a home run. certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, otherwise, what else do we got here? Um, this does feel very lived in and greasy and grubby. Yeah, um, it really, really does. Yeah, I mean, I, it's weird. There's things that I find weird. I guess as I get older, that I've noticed about films. So here's something that's kind of strange. That scene where he comes out onto the balcony and, and Abriel is kind of swinging on the swing and bouncing up against the ambulance. That's all great and everything. And then he sits down in that chair and I hear thunder and stuff. And I'm like, why would you have that upholstered chair outside? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a weird one. That was just, I think, more for, um, yeah, just to have it in, right? Sure. Oh, I mean, it looks great, right? I mean, so that's, that's, that's the kind of movie we're talking about here. We're talking about a film that, you know, uh, it, it's about the appearance and not really about the logic. Now, no, exactly. And if you kind of get into the movie, which, you know, again, once the show's over, I'll ask you, 
you know, I think that all of that makes sense. I just don't think, I don't know if Benny X was going for something different to try to get that story through. Um, but in my opinion, what really happens in the movie, if you go back and look at it, it all kind of makes sense. Yes. So in a way, we have a, a giallo on our hands, right? Like Yes, I think so. In a way. Gallic, Gallic giallo. Yeah. Tongue twister. Gallic giallo. Um, I think that he does a pretty good job also of, of communicating sort of or conveying the, the level of kind of um, there's a lot of chatter in the squalor like things always feel like they're loud and the frame feels very boxed in like you're just people are on top of each other just there's no space you feel like a rat in a maze and I, you know it works pretty well mm-hmm. um what else do we got here uh not much i think i'd said this earlier uh Dipper do real tough gig. He's the Paul Nashy school of uh, of lead performances, having to slum it with Abriel and Kinski. Poor guy. Um, we get a lead pipe sword fight. Oh yeah, that's a pretty good moment. Yeah, not bad. Collarbone gash looks pretty good. Oh man, can uh, you imagine getting hit in the collarbone with a lead pipe? <laughs> Dude, you know, you know, if me, if even if joking around, if I got in a lead pipe uh, swinging battle and somebody hits me in the collarbone, I'm like, time the fuck out, dude. We are yeah. done. This is Game this over. was this is stupid. Game over. We're done. We're done. <laughs> oh it. man, I've this hit. This is my, why we can't have nice. Yeah, things. I've hit my collarbone on like a like a shelf or like a corner of a uh, cabinet before. And you talk about taking you down a peg, man. That'll take your breath away and knock you on your ass. Like Berlin, man. That takes your breath away. Oh man. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. I, I just I love Depardieu's quiet. He has this quiet rage, this quiet frustration. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I've always loved about him as an actor is his ability to turn on a dime like mm-hmm. De Niro does. Yeah. He just, it, it's not this showy, seething rage, but you feel a real intense, quiet brooding from him that it feels genuine. It, it doesn't come across as kind of stagey or yeah. schlocky. It's, it's, it's one of those things like, well, like I, a bull. He's just like yeah. a bull. I shouldn't no. say this. I mean, he, he hardly ever feels like he's acting to me, but I'm sure that there are films, because he's had a career similar to De Niro's in a lot of ways. He's done comedies and kind of wacky things. And I remember even the French press back when he was doing American comedies. Yeah. I remember back when he was doing American comedies and stuff, the French press was like, he's ruining his legacy as one of the world's great actors and stuff. And he was like, I just want to be funny. Um, I don't know what it is with these guys. I guess they just reach a point where they just want to, they just want to be, you know, they just want to have a good time, I guess. So, you know, again, some people said the same things about De Niro, right? Like he ruined his, he's ruined his legacy as America's great actor. I, I don't think so. Those films are still there. I just think we realize now that it's a job to him. <laughs> no, I know. I, you know, I meant to mention this earlier. They, they both did Bertolucci's 1900. Yeah, you know, that's a film I've, I've never, never seen. seen. Yeah, I've never yeah, seen yeah. it either. I've never seen that one. Never seen it five hours long, though. Uh, that's part of the reason why I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, Vittorio Storero did the, the cinematography. It uh, seems like it's in our wheelhouse, but man. That's, that's a big chunk. That's got to be like a... Yeah. Well, I did just watch a four-hour documentary on Bill Cosby, so I don't know what I'm talking about, really, clearly. Ida Valley's in. We know. <laughs> Stefania Centrelli, Donald Sutherland, Burt Lancaster. Ennio Marconi does the music. I don't know, man. I'm just saying this. Oh, boy. We might be diving in at some might point. Might be. This might be a this might be a list of shamer. Maybe we should do a list of shame month 
and uh, knock off the ones uh, these big. I mean, because that would be a big one. That's a that's yeah, a one of us has seen it. That doesn't happen too often. No, that does not, and that's a that's a big one. Got a lot of our sort of a uh, lot of uh, GGTMT dressing there, right? So, oh man, that's got all the GGTMC agrees. Sterling Hayden. Oh Lord, it's just getting worse. The more you talk about it. Oh man, we're in deep now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Good Lord. Yeah, well, I'm going to keep that tab open on uh, on the old Chrome nearby. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I love the, this a lot. Near the end of the film, uh, Abriel says to him, you'll spoil everything. And I think it does a good job of communicating sort of this doomed, cyclical nature of things. Right? People are yeah. just, it's inescapable. Well, I, I, like that. I do too. And I think that that kind of pretends or kind of, kind of, uh, tells us what really happens in conclusion to this yeah um, i agree i agree um those are my notes though man i could keep going but we're, we're pinched for time here yeah i'm looking at uh wow the meta score for 1900 on imdb is 7.7 i mean so this thing seven yeah so this thing's considered a uh wow yeah i don't know man uh <laughs> I mean, he's got all Jeff the. Pardue and De Niro. The parents got here. Sex and nudity severe. Violence and gore severe. It sounds wow, like it's a. Yeah, it sounds like it's tailor made for our show. Just sounds no like it's, <laughs> Sounds like it's just uh, you know uh, five hours long. Wow, anyway, that's, that's more than a three hour tour, isn't it's, it? It's it's definitely. It's always kind of hovered in the background of my life. Same here. And now it's right back into the forefront of my life. So, I'll start. Close. I'm sure I'll start researching. We'll uh, we'll talk more about that. We'll see. Uh, okay, uh, Moon in the Gutter. Um, I'm going to go make a break. I'm going to give a break here because I think the pacing, I was a bit of a cheat, but I'm going to say the pacing is off on this movie. And it really just harms the film for me. Um, I don't think the movie's bad. I think you'll hear that when you hear my score. But I think that this movie could have been amazing. And uh, I think it just, I think it just misses the beat because the beat is off. To be honest with you, did I say that out loud? Beat off. Anyway, uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little different here. I'm not. I'm gonna go with Victoria Abril. I think she's the best thing in the movie. Nice. I really do. I think she's the best thing in the film. I mean, she's got the most emotional weight. Uh, it seems like she doesn't have the majority of the burden. But I think if you think the story turns out the way I think, I think you realize that she's carrying maybe the most burden in some weird way. And, uh, you know, we never even kind of approached the idea that maybe there was more to this brother-sister relationship potentially. than I mean, because he's awful obsessed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, if somebody was to kill a close relative of mine, I guess I would get pretty obsessive about it. I don't know. Thankfully, I've never had to worry about that. But, I mean, he's really obsessed. But, again that might go with his nature uh, and the story we're trying to tell here. So it's, it anyway, there, there's, that's what I mean. I think the subtext of this film is better than the film itself. And I think that they could have by editing it down and stuff. I think they had a, a gem on their hands here. I just think they missed a little bit. My score is a 6.5 out of 10 though. I think this is a good movie. I do. I couldn't recommend it to anybody except the most adventurous of our film watchers and film buffs. I don't nice. think I could recommend it to, you know, the guy who rents everything and all the Hollywood movies. Like, I couldn't recommend this to Kelly out on the West Coast. 
Uh, no offense to Kelly. I just don't think it's up in his ballpark. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I don't know him as well as I think I do. But, uh, you know, I could recommend it to some other buddies. Uh, I would recommend it to you. I would recommend it to Troy. I'd recommend it to uh, Jose. Folks like that. But, you know, Paul. <laughs> maybe Red Waffle Paul, maybe. I think, yeah, I know. He'd be good. Yeah. I think Kelly would be too. Yeah, I don't think James would dig it. Do you think James would dig it? To the fellow Mank over there, James. I don't think he would dig it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he likes that stylization. He, he likes the European stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, but if it's not for you, it's not for you. Yeah, I don't think Zom would like it. Yeah, Zom might not. He'd like Gabriel. Yeah. yeah, we're dropping all kinds of fans' names here. Just, just uh, having the time of our life. We, they're fans, but we call them friends, man. They're friends, buddy. Right. Not to make That's light funny. of it, but no, six point five out of ten. Nice. Okay, make a break. Uh, there's a scene with the real breaking down. Um, she had a few of these where she's just she just seems like a very she's very desperate. Her her existence is desperate. Uh, she's she's she it just crushes it. I mean, she's so good. Uh, MVT. Listen, I kind of cheated here. I went with the. Uh, this was sort of the sentimental choice of Vin X. It's his film for better or worse, and his sincerity and insistence on presenting the film the way he saw fit he sees it through to the end uh, so i applaud him for having the courage to do that um because he the artist kept true to his vision so good for him uh, my score is just a little bit higher than yours it's a 7.25 out of 10 uh far from a perfect film yeah a lot of enjoyable elements for film lovers i could probably and again i have no interest in watching this again Mm-hmm. But I bet if I did, I bet I could probably get somewhere in closer to the seven ballpark range. Yep. I just think it's a it's a difficult film to to milk entertainment out of. Um, no, sure. Wonderful looking film. I just find it you know I just found it a bit more difficult than I anticipated. Um, okay, so that is uh, Moon in the Gutter. Uh, check it out if you can. Uh, again, if you can't find it anywhere, it is on the Internet Archive, so you can check it out there. It's got captions and everything, so you're good to go. doesn't look too bad, i got to say. Um, all right, so next week, uh, we uh, Will's going to go with a bit of a theme on his selections going forward. Um, I do like that idea of doing a theme month. We should probably look into that. That would probably be kind of fun for me and you to do something different like that. Yeah. No, be kind of fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be fun. Um, I'm going to pick one that it's one of those ones that everybody says we've covered. If we haven't covered, how have we not covered it? And even us sometime can't believe we haven't covered it. <laughs> yes. And actually this came up again, not too long ago because will had thought we had covered it. Right. And, uh, we have not ever covered this film and it just got a nice Blu-ray release from uh, Kino and I bought it with anticipation of one day covering it again. But we're going to do uh, Umberto Lindsay's 1974 Eurocrime joint, Almost Human. Yeah. So this one's got uh, Thomas Millian, Henry Silva, and uh, a plethora of uh, fem- uh, female, uh, Italian uh, character actors in it. Umberto Lindsay, written by Ernesto Gastaldi. This should be fun. This should be a fun one to talk about because this is one of the wackier Eurocrimes. Uh, that was probably ever made. Million eats so many cigarettes in this film. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun to talk about Henry Silva again too, who we haven't talked about in a Return long. Return of time. the Max, man. Return of the Kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
these are two of my favorite actors of all time. So it's going to be great. Um, so, yeah, we want to thank everybody who keeps listening, uh, keeps sending those voicemails in. Again, the easiest way to send us a voicemail is to go to the Anchor website or the Anchor app. You can get on your phone, and it's very simple. You can just press a button, record, and it'll come right to us. I mean, it's really easy. Uh, so that way, anywhere in the world, uh, it's toll-free, like a phone number. So I'll, I'll get the file. You'll have, you got a minute, but even if you didn't have a minute, that's all I can promise you anyway because there was a time when we used to have 20-minute voicemails, and we can't do that again. So <laughs> oh, <that's> true. <laughs> you can go back and listen to those shows. It's pretty crazy. Some of the, I, love the, I love all you guys that did that, but, man, we used to get – remember those voicemails, man? Some of them tends to be 20 minutes. Some of those people started podcasting. Dude, yes, they. Uh, we had a few long ones, man. That's yeah, sure. no doubt about it. But uh, we, you know, we cap it in a minute, and uh, that's the way it needs to be, so we can keep moving on. Um, let us know if you can how you guys are kind of enjoying the one film format. I know Will and I would we would love to do two films a week. We really yes. would. We just aren't quite there yet. Uh, hopefully, we'll get some two film shows going at some point in the near future. Uh, I know I got some plans to do at least one, so hopefully we'll be able to get uh, one together pretty soon. I mean, I'll just be honest with you guys right now. If we could sit here and talk to each other for eight hours, we probably would. So, without breaking a sweat, our, our families would claw us over the head. But oh yeah, no yeah. yeah, somebody would be sweating. It'd be me in anticipation of being hit in the back of the head. <laughs> so, but uh, we want to thank y'all, and uh, let's keep it going here. So I'll say uh, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 